This is The Shift Podcast. Hey, thanks for checking out The Shift Weekend Podcast. On this episode, we have to give credit where it's due. And although I've blasted Amazon in the past before, got to give them a thumbs up for some good news they were associated with this week. And then a conversation about the Governor General and exactly why the blame shouldn't entirely fall on Julie Payette, but instead the office of the Prime Minister. And then finally, a conversation on mental health, asking the question, how is your mental health and how can we improve our mental health throughout a pandemic? We'll talk with an expert on exactly how to do that. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and follow along every week for the Shift Weekend Podcast. But before there, I just wanted to quickly summarize why I'm going to give Amazon just a quick shout out here tonight. And that's because... They deserve it. Now, I've been critical about this company in the past, especially during the pandemic. We know local small businesses have been struggling, have been suffering, and they are slowly disappearing. And guess what? They're never going to come back. And Amazon has changed entirely the way we approach and view online commerce, e-commerce, the way we 20 years ago thought saving our credit card information on the internet in the year 2000 was ridiculous, dangerous, and foolish. Now... Chances are most of us have our credit card information saved on Amazon so that we can purchase things even faster without having to input all the information all again each time we want to buy something. So for the most part, I do mention Amazon has warts. It's a gigantic company. It is richer than the entire country of Australia. I'll put it that way. But Amazon deserves credit for two reasons. One, in Washington State this weekend, they're opening up space to have a pop-up COVID-19 vaccination spot. They're going to be uh, providing the vaccination to 2,000 qualified uh, residents of Seattle, which is where, of course, Amazon is headquartered in. I think that deserves some commendation and a shout-out because they have no obligation as a company to do something like that, but they are, and I appreciate that. And then for a more Canadian angle, in Quebec, Amazon announcing just today they're going to open five new locations in Quebec, and that will lead to directly 1,000 new jobs around Montreal. There's going to be two new sorting centers and three new delivery stations. They will be opening up uh, all of them uh, by the end of 2022. In fact, two of them opening by the end of 2021. So in a time where we know jobs are getting cut, people are dealing with unemployment, and unemployment does lead to, inevitably, death. It's just a proven statistic. We know that if you can create jobs in any economic situation, it improves lives and it improves the livelihoods of those that can apply for these jobs and eventually get them. So I tip my hat tonight to Amazon, a company that I have been hard on, critical on in the past, and I'm sure in the future I will be just as critical as they deserve to be held to a standard. But tonight, I say thumbs up. Amazon, you done all right. This is The Shift Podcast. But for now, let's get into it. Another episode of The Big Jang Theory. Right or wrong, big or small, John Jang has a take on it all. This is The Big Jang Theory. Well, it's the story that has been percolating over the past couple of days, and so it is. Ends three years, six months, four days after she was named the Governor General of Canada, Julie Payette announced her resignation on Thursday this week after an investigation into her workplace led to scathing allegations against Madame Payette. So if you're unfamiliar with this story and this report, it alleges that Julie Payette fostered a toxic and harassing workplace, which are not liked allegations. Employees at Rideau Hall allege that Payette yelled at 
and publicly humiliated her staff members. And the insinuation is that this was not some sort of one-off rare event, but it happened frequently enough that those employees are quoted in this report as saying it felt like a constant barrage and that it was unbearable. In 2018, one year after she had accepted her position as Canada's governor general, it was reported that Julie Payette hesitated to sign the legalization of cannabis into law. This hesitation had nothing to do with any kind of personal objection to the proposed law. It had nothing to do with the fact that she might have been unaware of her duties as governor general and why this would have mattered for her. The report here says the hesitation stemmed from her frustration that she had to make a last minute scheduling change in order to accommodate the signing. Think about that for a moment. It frustrated her to the point where she felt like her schedule, her personal schedule, was of higher priority than something that would impact millions of Canadians, and we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, in this report, first shared by the National Post, a picture was painted of an extremely unhappy Julie Payette. She was unhappy with her role. She disliked the public scrutiny into her personal life. She disliked the expectations on how she was supposed to dress. She disliked the demands of her personal time. She was clearly not fit for this job, or at least she was not fitting in to the job, as was noted by those on the outside, i.e. the reporters with National Post. Now, all of this to say that while Julie Payette should be held accountable for providing such a toxic and mentally taxing workplace for her employees, we need to acknowledge the role the prime minister plays in all of this. In order to do that, let me take you back 11 years to 2010, when Stephen Harper, the prime minister at that time created a special panel to seek out the ideal candidate to become Canada's next governor general in 2010. This panel was named the Governor General Consultation Committee. And in their search, they interviewed and they did thorough background checks on more than 200 individuals across the country. This search ultimately led to the appointment of David Johnston as Canada's next governor general. Now, due to the success of this panel, in 2012, the decision was made to make it permanent and was renamed the Advisory Committee on Vice Regal Appointments, a very fancy official title. So let me say this again. The committee had become a permanent fixture for any future scenario where a governor general had to be appointed by any prime minister moving forward. That recommendation was approved by the Queen in 2017. And here we are today. The fact that Julie Payette was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's one and only suggestion. He tossed aside this entire committee. He tossed aside the entire notion of going through a thorough and investigative check. He decided to not use this. Now, for the sake of transparency, I will share with you that in July of 2017, I was like many Canadians at that time. I was impressed by Julie Payette to be Completely fair. I didn't know enough about her. I thought she fit the bill. I thought her impressive track record as an astronaut led me to believe that she would be able to work 
with good communication, open communication with people from different backgrounds and communities, because that's what astronauts generally tend to do. The Canadian Space Agency works with NASA, works with Russia, works with China, works with agencies all over the world. And together, they're able to put up the International Space Station. So I thought, okay, she would make a fine governor general. But in 2017, I was hosting an afternoon show at a rock music station in Cranbrook, British Columbia. I did not have any qualifications to really make an opinion on this matter. I was simply believing what I was told by the officials. The prime minister has no such excuse. Whatever shame and embarrassment may have been caused by Julie Payette can be traced exactly back to the lack of leadership shown by Justin Trudeau in 2017. There was a committee available to him whose only job is to source hundreds of viable candidates across the country and arrive to find the single greatest individual suited for this position. He ignored their track record when they landed on David Johnston. He ignored something good that his predecessor had created for him and all future prime ministers to come when Stephen Harper made this committee permanent in 2012. He ignored the fact that maybe he isn't the smartest man in the room at any given time. And maybe there are certain tasks and responsibilities that are better left delegated like any good leader would do. The failure of Julie Payette is truthfully, if we're being honest about this, the failure of Justin Trudeau. Julie Payette might fade now as a political exile. She will receive an annual pension currently just short of $150,000 for the rest of her life. And as people have pointed out, she also gets an additional $100,000 for appearance fees or any fees associated with her and her previous position as governor general. If you want to book her as a public speaker, and if she happens to be booked as a public speaker based on her role, As the former governor general, she gets to dip into that $100,000 fee for transportation to get there and get back. She doesn't need to spend a single dime of her own money. If you are ashamed of Julie Payette, I think you are allowed to be. She is, at the end of the day, responsible for managing and providing a safe working environment, especially as a public servant in the eye of millions of Canadians at any given moment. But we should recognize, in hindsight, that she was never the most qualified candidate in July of 2017. The failure to attempt even searching for that candidate rests squarely on the shoulders of the prime minister. If you blame Julie Payette, first blame Justin Trudeau. Right or wrong, big or small, John Jang has a take on it all. This is The Big Jang Theory. Now, I admit I'm not an expert when it comes to mental health, but let me ask you this question tonight. How is your mental health? And if you don't know the answer to that, I think it's totally okay. It's probably not something we ask ourselves enough. But tonight, as we've slugged out the first three weeks of 2021, I wanted to take a moment to remind you that your mental health is just as important as your physical health. And I know that can be extremely challenging to maintain as we're grinding through this global pandemic. So to help us out with some advice on how we can improve our mental health during COVID-19, we are now joined by a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Anne-Marie Callahan Churchill. She is the Executive Director of Stepped Care Solutions. Dr. Churchill, thank you so much for giving us some time here on the show today. Oh, you're more than welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, That's great. And, you know, I'm so excited because uh, one of the things we don't shy away from on this show, in fact, that we openly embrace is the conversation about being vulnerable and being honest with 
everything that comes with the human element. And while we can celebrate the high moments, the happy moments, the positive things, we also have to be real and understand life is a roller coaster. And when there's the ups come inevitably the downs. And I find that because of COVID-19 complicating the way we live, the way we especially socialize, uh, that a lot of my friends, a lot of my family members, and even myself over the past number of months, it's been hard on my mental health to get through um, because I'm a pretty extroverted person and I, mm. and I thrive on having that social energy. And right now, I'm sure I'm not alone, doctor. There's a lot of people like me who uh, just seem to be struggling with their mental health these days. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think about it as a, a shock to our system, to our to our whole being. Um, this pandemic has challenged us in ways I don't think we've ever been challenged before um, or seen before. You know, it's just created this incredible change to all these different aspects of our life that I always think ground us. You know, you talk about being an outgoing person and for people certainly, well, all human beings rely on that social connection. We're social beings. Some people need it more than others, but we know from all the resilience literature and all the mental health literature that connection and social connection is crucial and that loneliness has a negative impact on our physical and our mental health. So the pandemic has kind of thrown us in this situation where it's upended so many pieces of our lives and then taken away one of the most important and crucial aspects, which is social connection. Mm -hmm. So I think for all of us, um, I know I'm in the field, I'm doing things and I'll talk to you later, some things people can do, but I'm monitoring my own mental health on an ongoing basis because um, I just spend a lot of time alone, a long time on Zoom. Um, and you just notice the things that we all do to stay well have been limited. Absolutely. And I feel like uh, with the barrage of there being a lot of heavy news uh, every day that come across our timelines and the news channels, uh, there's there's always something that can get, even if you don't realize it, some anxieties going inside or maybe some stress, certainly a lot of stress, actually. And one of the key, in fact, one of the easiest ways that I know um, I'm going through something difficult is when I realize I'm having trouble falling asleep. And it's such, and you know what, like there, there could be a dozen reasons why some people might think this is happening to me, but I know I'm a, usually a pretty heavy sleeper. And when I can't fall asleep very easily and I'm tossing and I'm turning, that to me signals that something is wrong and I need to do a deeper exploration as to what those issues might be. Wow, John, first I'll say that's really insightful. I worked for a while in psychiatric emergency. And um, when I would ask people, you know, what did you first notice? What were things, because it's so good if you can catch it early, we're all vulnerable to mental health problems, just like we are physical. I like to draw a parallel between physical health and mental health. And just like any one of us can get physically ill at any given time or have physical challenges, so can we with mental health. But there are things that, um, signs that we aren't doing so well. And if we pay attention to those early, they are like red flags or they are uh, signs that something has changed for us. And sleep is one of the first ones. And when mm -hmm. you think about it, you know, when we're trying to fall asleep at night, when you're keyed up or when you're nervous or when you're anxious or even when you're excited, it's hard for your nervous system to settle. And so you stay activated. And so if you think about this whole pandemic and the news, it's created a couple of things that are precursors to anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's created uncertainty. 
um, and this sense of threat. And the threat is real. It's a threat to our physical health. We know that the virus is contagious, um, but it's also a threat to so many other things. It's a threat to our work for many of us. It's a threat for many of us in our family lives and our social relationships, because either we're seeing too much of people or we're not seeing people at all. Hmm. Uh, so it's really created this um, real threat, which, as I mentioned, is a precursor to anxiety. And uncertainty creates a sense of threat and instability and not knowing what's going to come next. And we've seen this. We've seen it from our leaders, from our from our health experts, you know, that we have to pivot all the time. We're doing this amazing dance where, nope, don't do that. Shift, go here. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. We're doing it with our children and school. You know, all of a sudden parts of Canada are in another lockdown. And so it's just this constant barrage of shifting and changing and change is novel. Change creates a sense of threat in us. So it's not surprising that you would have trouble sleeping just like I do often, or having a sense of um, anxiety or stress or frustration. These are all totally to be expected. And they're signs of distress. And distress we is very much expected in a situation like this pandemic. Yeah, I would say these are very normal feelings <laughs> in a very abnormal time. I think that's a really good way of putting it because the word, like the buzzword of 2020, if there uh, was any, uh, it's probably unprecedented. And I think we heard that yeah. again and again. So I, I think you're absolutely right when you say uh, exactly those points. But now for those that are listening who probably can absolutely relate to uh, those points here, I'm wondering because we're asked to isolate and we're asked to practice mm -hmm. social distancing, are there any simple remedies at home to start thinking about to try and counter uh, some of these weighing effects of what's happening in the world right now, or, or just simple things that you can do to try and just refresh and recharge your mind? I love that question, because um, what it does then is it shifts us. Um, so we have so much re research on resilience, and people who have um, faced very, very difficult um, situations, and have worked through them. And I don't even use the word overcome because we just work through them, we change, we adapt, we strengthen, we move on, we keep going. And there are things we can do and the simpler, the better. Um, and so I, I have some ideas that I'd love to share, but the first <laughs> thing I just wanna say is every human being has the potential and the capacity for resilience. And if I was talking to you longer, I would say, what are times in your life you've struggled and what worked for you? So many of us, most of us, have had struggles and difficulties. And there's things that just come natural that are helpful to us. So I always ask people, you know, what are some remedies or things that, um, that you've done in the past that have given you comfort, maybe have given you a sense of groundedness or even joy that are quite simple and quite doable. What we find is in really tough times and when people are really struggling, the simplest things actually help the most because they're doable and they're familiar. Mm. So, and yet it's interesting when we're hit with struggles, we often forget to do those. We get caught up in, you know, this has really changed for me. This is really hard. And, and often what we'll do is jump in and try to find something new when we already have some strategies that we just need to do more of. So the first thing I would say is if there's something that just naturally brings you comfort, joy, satisfaction, do more of it. Hmm. Intentionally bring it into your life. So that's number one. Add it. Add more of that. 
Now, some of those things people say to me, well, it was things I did with others. It was things I did socially, and it's hard to find those things at home. So there's actually things we can do within our internal world that are very, very helpful. So the first thing I'd say is we need to accept our, our reactions. Like a lot of people trying to pretend this isn't happening. And you mentioned this at the start. Because of stigma, some people think resilient people don't feel anything. And the resilience, actually, the research shows that resilience people feel it just as much as anyone else, Mm. but they accept it. And then they do the pivot. So the first thing I would say is to accept those reactions. If, If you have someone you can share them with, and it can be in writing, it can be in artwork, it can be through music, but expressing those feelings first, accepting them, expressing them. Tell someone about it. If you're not that type of person, you could journal or even just say to yourself, this is really hard for me Mm -hmm. and to be kind to yourself. Once you do that, the second piece that's really, really important, and this again, I'm going to draw on the resilience research, is being able to make some space without denying that this is a struggle to also make some space um, for the things you're noticing around you that are actually positive. So there are things in every dark moment that bring in light. So for instance, I was thinking about this today, knowing I was going to talk to you. And when my brother-in-law died a number of years ago, and I was visiting him at the hospital, it was this overwhelming feeling of grief and sadness. But then when I walked out of the hospital and I felt the sun, I could just stop for a minute and just allow that to penetrate, to feel the warmth of the sun, to enjoy the sun. So you can be in grief and loss and social isolation. And human beings have the capacity to hold both and also have a really calm moment Mm -hmm. or also have a moment of awe. Like when we see how communities have come together, when we see the camaraderie, when we see the adaptive ability of human beings, you know, my grandson four is zooming in JK and my (laughs) mother, who's 88, who my father had a stroke during the pandemic, and he's in long-term care, she's telling me I need to talk to a friend today and do some cheer exercise, which she's never done in her life. And I'm just, I'm in awe. Mm -hmm. I'm in awe of the adaptability of the human spirit. So to be able to hold both of those. So what I would suggest is that people intentionally each day, and some of this is a gratitude exercise, is just find something. Find something that you notice and bring it to your consciousness. So what we know is negative thoughts and negative events have staying power. So they're like um, Velcro, they stick to us. Positive Hmm. events are often like Teflon, they slide right off us. Like how often do you wake up at night thinking about great things? Usually you wake up at night thinking about all the bad things and that's (laughs) that's our threat response, right? So what we need to do as human beings, especially people who are overly negative thinkers and ruminators need to bring in purposely schedule it for five minutes today. I'm just going to think about what's going well and use that to sort of build up your resilience muscle. So that's something we can all do at home on our own. Um, and it can actually be the difference in having all of these um, emotions and reactions and they're normal the difference in that and tipping over into a mental health problem. So if we can bring in some of that gratitude, some of those things that are going well and think about them, it can actually relieve um, some of the tension people are feeling, some of the distress people are feeling. Doctor, before we took a quick break here, you were making this excellent point about how we as humans are 
seemingly designed to let good news and good moments just roll off our back while we fester and linger on bad things and bad energies for so much longer. It's almost like when we have this reason to celebrate, it's a very small Yay. And then right away, we start worrying about how we're going to screw things up, whether it's at work or at home with our friends. It's really a fascinating point. Can you explain? Uh, Rather, as you explain, it highlights the importance of having to spoon feed ourselves these constant reminders that we deserve to feel happy and we can feel happy. Yes, they can do that. And the other thing I strongly suggest, because, you know, we know connection and mental health are tied together. So connect in any way possible. You know, some people are connecting with pets. That's great in their bubble. But there are ways to connect. I know it's not the same. I know it doesn't feel as good. Like I was seeing my grandkids um, because I would go through Toronto twice a month for work. um, And I haven't seen them for over a year. And they're like babies. So I, I can really feel quite sad about I'm not seeing them. I can't snuggle with them. I can't hold them. I'm not making the connection. Or I can say, you know what, I can't do that right now. But the best I can do is Skype, Zoom, WhatsApp. To the point now, my daughter-in-law says they hear the the WhatsApp thing and they just go, it's Nana. And they're like, <laughs> there's this excitement. And I seriously, I fall asleep thinking about that to just as a positive feeling because I'm really feeling lonely and missing them that I'm trying to make the best of it. So mm. I would suggest to people connect in any way you can. There's many different ways to do it. So seeking connection, but also providing connection. So we also know when we help others, we feel better. Yes. So yeah. trying to find ways to reach out for ourselves and reach out for others. Connection is key. I, I, yeah, and again, some some brilliant points because uh, you're right. Like it, it goes both ways. When you're helping out somebody and you're just checking in on on them, you're sending a text message asking how they're doing. Turns out that conversation can actually be such uh, so very beneficial to you as well. So I think that's an important thing that people can't forget is that this is not just about you helping somebody else, but it's also you helping yourself in the same exact time. And there is yeah. there's reciprocation that way. So. On that note, when we're talking about reaching out and and sending a message, connecting with Mm -hmm. other people, I suppose it's important for us to maybe get a sense of what some of the warning signs are that somebody in our life might not be doing so well. Because, you know, when you're having trouble falling asleep, that's a very personal and private thing. You don't often share that information with uh, one of your friends or one of your family members, unless they happen to, you know, live in the same building as you. But because we're isolated right now, it's just maybe one of those things where you decide, oh, I'm going to go through this by myself. I I don't need to bring anybody in. So when you get withdrawn, is that maybe one of the first signs that uh, you should start looking out for that, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. Let's just check in to see how you're doing. Yeah, you know, when people start um, reacting differently, um, when people have have been really outgoing and then they're not, over a period of time, we all have time is when we just don't want to connect or we just feel bad. And it's okay to feel bad. It's when it persists. So if somebody is withdrawn and you try to contact them and say, hey, I'm here, you want to chat, and they don't want to, uh, to respect that and and let them know I'm still here and I'll check in again. It's interesting when I I was thinking of a woman when you just said that whose um, husband died and she said, you know, I would say to people, I don't want to talk to you and I didn't want to talk to you. Uh, but she said it was so nice when they kept trying. Hmm. And that was really important to me. So I think that to be able to say to someone, I'm here and then check in again. If you notice over time that this is persisting 
and the distress is getting worse. And the other thing we look at, it's interfering. So interference is a really important indicator uh, of when things are becoming more serious. So I can feel distressed. I can have anxiety. I can be stressed. But I'm still getting my work done. I can still get up in the morning and feed my kids and um, do some craft with them and maybe put them in front of the TV while I do a bit of work. I mean, people are under so much stress and there's so much demand on their time. The, the way to think about it is to say, am I still able to get the basics done? Am I still functioning? So you may have one day you spend in your pajamas and, and binge on, on a Netflix. But if that's ongoing, that's when it becomes more serious. And there's so much help out there. You know, it's interesting because I keep hearing on the radio, there's not enough. And there are really good resources for people not only to get the support, professional help, but also to check in on themselves and to do a self-assessment. And uh, one example I can tell you, and so with Step Care Solutions, we're one of the organizations along with Kids Help Phone and Homewood Health um, that are funded by Health Canada to run this portal called Wellness Together Canada. It's a virtual mental health portal. It's for everybody in Canada, totally free. And there's a self-assessment on it where people can go on and it's a mood. There's three short scales. One is for your mood. One is for your well-being, like a resilience. And the other one is your functioning. And I do it on a regular basis. I get an email reminding me to do it. And it gives me a graph to see how I'm doing over time. And when I see that functioning going down, I say to myself, I need to get back to some of the things that make me feel good. I'm not exercising. I'm not checking in with my sister. I'm withdrawn, like you said. And it, it gives me a cue. And then I go back and do that. So when people are starting to feel this isn't just um, simple worry, this is, it seems like it's more, something like Wellness Together Canada, there's all kinds of resources there. People can just go on and learn more about their mental health. There's all kinds of articles and e-courses and videos but there's also self-guided programs for anxiety and depression that are very effective. If people want, they can pick one of those programs with a coach. There's a grief coaching program. There's mindfulness classes. Mindfulness is a wonderful um, approach to settling yourself. And then if people just think, oh, I don't know what I want and I'm in a bit of a mess, they can immediately connect with a counselor, a mental health professional um, over the phone or over video through Homewood Health or through Kids Help Phone if it's a youth. So those resources are really, really important if people are feeling like I'm not dealing with this, I'm not doing well, or they're just curious and they want to know more. I think that's a great call to action because I saw earlier this week, actually, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on his Twitter page actually sent out that message, obviously acknowledging that millions of Canadians right now are going through a difficult time. So yeah. this resource that you mentioned uh, with Step Care Solutions, uh, working with Wellness Together Canada, I think it's an invaluable resource. As you mentioned, accessible 24 hours a day. It's free for everybody. And all yeah. you have to do is go online and most importantly, just be honest and don't be afraid to take some time with some of these questions because in just being honest with yourself and how you're feeling, that'll give you the best, uh, you know, directions on how to proceed with uh, any treatment possible or just getting some clarifications on why you're feeling certain things. So I think it's a, it's a very important thing. So uh, the easiest link that I could recommend for people that want to check that out would just be to Google wellness together Canada. And I think it's one yeah. of the first links right there that shows up. Yeah, it is wellness together Canada.ca. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I'm using it. I've got my family to use it. I put my mother on it, you know, <laughs> just for her to be able to track her wellness. Mm -hmm. You can just do it all on your own. 
Um, but at least you can keep track of how you're doing. And it's like our physical health. We're in charge of that. And we have to keep track of that. And sometimes we let it go so long that it's harder to get it back. So if we just stay on top of it, and that's a really simple way to do it. Um, and it is totally funded by Health Canada, you know, so it's available to all of us. And it's really shifting, I think, the needle on mental health, where it's just something like physical health and participation. We just need to stay mentally healthy. And this is a way we can do that and be in charge of that for ourselves. Love it. Uh, she is Dr. Anne-Marie Callahan-Churchill, the Executive Director of Step Care Solutions and working now with Wellness Together Canada. Doctor, we appreciate you giving us some time here on the show. Uh, we're going to have you back because this was such an excellent conversation. And again, it's one of the key pillars of what the shift is about. So we thank you for your time and uh, we can't wait to connect again. Fantastic, John. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's the Shift Podcast. For now, let's get into it. Learning Portuguese time. Hola, shift heads. It's time to learn Portuguese with Leonardo. Ah, hola. Yeah, I love that. So open your textbooks to page number 174. That's where today's lesson will proceed. Before we get there, a cameo appearance from substitute teacher Doug Ford, who is here to teach us how to say stay at home, not just in one language, but 22. Mr. Ford, take it away. Hi folks, there's one thing that's uniting all of us in Ontario, and that is stay at home. Reste à la maison, taisai jolly, low fun, high okay, stare e casa, curre roll, cadete an casa, shalik vi alabate, manatili sabahai, garme rahir, fika en casa, bibes you hausa, dar hane be manid. Proshan Zestencha Domo Bertil Hiringal Astavaisa Domo Sin Ah Yam Chibe Iso Garpar Raho Katse Spiti Sale Shai Tizya Domo Evde Colin Oh, well done, Premier Doug Ford. Take a bow. Uh, that couldn't have been easy. I will verify he said stay at home in Korean. It's actually pretty good. Jibesa, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, this is just great stuff. To do. It must be hard like, to go back and forth. I The Italian wasn't very close. The Spanish was way, way far off. <laughs> but the Portuguese was pretty good. The Portuguese right. gets a passing nine. Yeah, oh. I I can only assess those three. The other ones, I, I don't have enough knowledge. Okay, fair enough. So let's let's go over the Portuguese edition of that phrase, stay at home, one more time so that we can really hammer it here. Uh, stay at home. How do you say this in Portuguese? Fique em casa. Fique em casa. Yeah, Fiki, oh, there, you there you go. Fiki Imkaza. Yeah, he's just right off the bat. Nice. Job. I like that a lot. So, uh, again, uh, our thanks to substitute teacher Doug Ford for that. But Fiki Imkaza, stay at home, the message shared by the Premier of Ontario. And if you want some technicality, he actually... He didn't say Fiki, he said Fika, which is also right, because Fika is on the imperative. Well, ah. And so is Fiki, but there are two ways to say. But, yeah, I'd say Fiki is... Better. Fiki in casa. Freaky in casa. Not freaky. Fiki. <laughs> I was wondering if you would catch that. Yes. All right. Fair enough. Uh, moving on. Let's see. Since we had that conversation with Dr. Churchill earlier in the show, and it's one of the pillars of what the shift is about, how do you ask someone, how is your mental health? Como está 
a, a sua saúde mental. Ok, ok. Slow it down. Ok. Como está... I, I got that one. Como está... A sua saúde mental. Sua saúde mental. Yes. Is that pretty good? Yes, that como, sounds good. Como, como está sua saúde, saúde mental? Mental. Yeah. Okay, and you know what? Sounds kind of nice too. Yeah, it's not, it's not mental, right? It's Men, mental. Mental. Yeah, there you go. Mental. Yeah. All right. I, I, I always worry that whatever, like, I don't know why it happens. Anytime I try to speak Portuguese with you, I turn Italian. It's the weirdest thing. But we proceed. And again, a question to you, how is your mental health? Uh It's an important question, and be honest with yourself, because that's really the key here. Uh, moving on, since we're asking about mental health, we have to remember, as Dr. Churchill was saying, to love ourselves. So, Leo, remember to love yourself. How do you, how do you say this? Lembre de amar a si mesmo. Lembre de amar, de amar a, si mesmo. a si mesmo. Yeah. Lembre de amar a si mesmo. Lembre de amar a si mesmo. Yeah. Okay. See, I'm starting to sound Italian, which tells me I'm getting pretty good at this. Yeah, you're good. You're doing well, man. Now, because we also talked at length about uh, the governor general, the former governor general, Julie Payette, it was the big Jang theory for the night. Uh, it's quite simply, governor general, how do we translate this? Governador geral. Governador general. Not general, geral. Governador geral. Yeah. 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 Geral. Like, like yeah. Geraldo. Ge yes. Without the door. Yes. Governador geral. Governador geral. geral. Yeah. I kind of like that just the first part. Governador. Yeah. It sounds like governator. Yes. Which is exactly what Arnold Schwarzenegger was. <laughs> the governator. <laughs> That's really the good. governor of Brazil. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how we got here, but we did. Yeah, you did. Well, governor. That's a great reference. <laughs> we, we, we had some requests. Uh, man, I, I think I've lost them, unfortunately. Uh, but Kat wanted to know. I, actually, I found it here. Uh, not Kat. Catherine wanted to know. How do you say keep on keeping on? Keep on keeping on. Uh, like if there is a Portuguese equivalent. I don't know if there is an expression. Like uh, I'm trying to think like. Uh, vai indo, vai indo. Uh, vai indo? Yeah, vai indo, vai indo. It's, I don't know, it might be an expression. It's not coming to my head, but vai indo is the, the, the literal translation to keep going. Vai indo. Continue, vai indo, continue. Siga seu caminho. Siga seu caminho is a popular expression. Like, it literally will be go on your, follow your own path. Right. But that would be the closest one. But okay. I, the, then that will convey the same uh, semantics that keep on, keep on. Fair Just, enough. Yeah. Because, yes. again, it's one of those sayings that if you were to directly translate it, 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 it would be tough, not just in Portuguese, but in many different languages. Yeah, like, it's one of those expressions that are just kind of devised in English and it makes sense in English in a sense in a, in a way but if you directly translate it it becomes very difficult for a lot of different languages simply because of the way our grammar is formed in English it's very lazy in English people don't seem to understand that yeah it's kind of quite simpler than other languages English is in English has less nuances than other languages like mm -hmm. like the Latin languages the Latin derived languages for example so yeah it, sometimes it can get tricky but For us, the trickiest part of the English language is, uh, you know, I believe it's called synonyms. When when certain words have different definitions, but they sound the same. Like night, as in day and night, and then night, as in night of the round table, right? I mean, these things, 
trip people up all the time. So if you're learning English for the first time, you know, what's the difference? And then, yeah. like, you could look at the, uh, you know, the, the states, Arkansas, Arkansas, Arkansas. But Arkansas. then you just remove the A and an R and it becomes Kansas. Kansas, yeah. yeah. Like, what? There's no rules here. Anyways. Yeah, so that, that's a French influence all over right. there, right? Governador General. Governor General. The former Governador General de Canada. De Canada. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you remember. So I'm, yeah. I'm learning. I'm learning all the time. If it's not from our listeners, it's certainly from our technical producer, Leonardo Cuello. Uh, we had this one request for a quick lesson in Portuguese. And Leo, this question asks, what does Leo suggest? is a really good pickup line to say to a Portuguese girl or even a Portuguese boy. If you are at a Portuguese bar or a Brazilian bar, and Leo, let's just say it's you, and standing in front of you in the flesh is the woman on the Cholula art. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I've been a fan of your work for so long. What is the first thing you want to say to you know, try and get a date with this woman? You've been trying to say to everybody here that I have desire for the, the actual. Hey, you're the one that said it. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> it's you. I don't know. Uh, uh, God, this is really arguing because, you know, like there's so many ways you can approach it. Like, uh, I don't know. I try to go to the fun ways, right? Like, so if your name is like Matthew, like Matthias. <laughs> I was actually seeing like this one like the other day. Like the name, the guy was name was Matheus, which is Matthew, like, yep, right? Yep. And then, you know, like, uh, and then he goes, uh, and I was actually the girl that went to the guy, like, he, she liked the guy, which is called Matheus oh, Matthews, okay, and, okay. and then she went to the guy, and she was like, you know what, I'm reading the Bible, Matthew is my favorite book, like, something like that, oh, that, that that's kind of corny and funny. Wait a second, wait a second, you're <laughs> yeah. telling me the best pickup line? <laughs> no, it's not the best. What? I don't know, it's something that I just read, like, the, like this I, week, I was reading I, the Bible, uh, which yes. is a very romantic book, as people know. <laughs> <laughs> and the lady I couldn't help but think. Yeah, yeah. This name is just so good. Um, yeah, that's uh, not a pickup line, no, man. man I, We're I, trying I, to help I, our listeners I, get a date. I don't know. Call inviting her for a dance. I don't know. How about like? How about how do you say like? You're just easy, nice and easy. You're beautiful or you're handsome. Ah, senhorita, você é linda. What? Você é linda. Você é linda. É, senhorita, uh, miss, oh, senhorita, right? yeah. senhorita, yes. senhorita, 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 that was so Which, much- by the way, if that's I, your I, uh, opening line for a pickup, <laughs> you're going home very much alone. But that, 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 I, I had a, a kick out of you, and I was like, this is so unusual. Goodness me. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.